Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Whatever makes manifest is light. So how do we know what's right and wrong? That's a big question. How do we know what is right and wrong? Well, God has shown us what is right and wrong. When Paul is talking here about the light manifesting what is the darkness, he's talking about the truth of God's Word. God's Word tells us what's right and what's wrong. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Ephesians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 3 through 14, in a message titled, Christianity and the New Sexual Standard. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So, in the passages we are currently studying, we are looking at what it means to put off the old man, put off the things of the past, the things that we were previously engaged in, those sinful activities, and put on the new man. We, as God's people, are to be living differently than we previously lived. We're to be living now a life in the Spirit. And Paul told us, began telling us, actually, in verse 25, what that looks like. Let me remind you, we are to stop lying and speak the truth. We are to stop stealing, and rather we are to work hard so we can help others. We're not to use degrading speech, but we are to use our words to build others up. We are to put away all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice, all of those kinds of things. And we are to put on kindness, tenderheartedness. We are to show grace to one another, and we are to walk in love as Christ loved us. So we stop there, but as we pick up in verse 3, next on the list of things that we are to put off are sins that are of a sexual nature. And so let's pick up reading in verse three, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light." For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. 
Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. In the time that Paul wrote this, first century AD Roman culture, there were no taboos regarding sexual behavior. It was basically a sexual free-for-all. It was the message of the gospel that brought in a new sexual ethic. So that the ethics that we have known here in our nation and in most of uh, Western civilization for uh, literally centuries is really the result of the impact of the gospel. And in, in bringing in this new sexual ethic, there was now a condemnation of things that were perfectly acceptable to the culture at the time. Things like adultery, fornication, homosexuality, pedophilia, bestiality. Uh, these were all a part of life amongst the Romans. But this new sexual ethic was based on the understanding that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit and the possession of God. Since God created us, redeemed us, and indwells us, he obviously has the right to tell us how we can and cannot use our bodies sexually. And so here in the passage we just read, as well as many other portions of the New Testament scripture, we have instruction on how we are to live, how we are to conduct ourselves in regard to sexuality. And so here in verse three, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Now, the two words that Paul uses here, translated fornication and uncleanness, the first word is the Greek word pornea, and you can figure out what words we get from that word. It's pretty obvious. The second word, the word translated uncleanness or impurity, is akatharsia. And when you take these two words, they cover every kind of sexual sin. So here in, in these two words, Paul is just, he's covering the gamut of sexual sin. So to sin sexually, according to scripture, is to engage in sexual activity outside of the God-ordained boundaries for sex. Now, we're talking about sexual sin. Pe many people in the culture today would say there's no such thing as sexual sin. That, that was exactly the mentality uh, back at the time that this epistle was written. For most people, there was no such thing. This was, this was revolutionary, the stuff that the apostles were, were teaching, the stuff that was brought to these former Gentile idol worshipers that came through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So just so we're, we're crystal clear about this, according to the scripture, there is such thing as sexual sin. And 
To sin sexually, as I said, is to engage in sexual activity outside of the God-ordained boundaries. So, so what is the God-ordained boundary? This is, a lot of times people ask questions like, well, you know, sexually, well, what about this? Can I, you know, can I do this, but not that? Or, you know, how far can you go? People ask those kinds of questions. Here's the boundary. God's boundary for sex is within the male and female marital relationship. In that context, you can have all the sex you want. Outside of that context, you can't be involved in sexual activity. So God, this is, this is pretty narrow. It's a pretty narrow standard. But again, remember, God's the one who created our bodies. God's the one who knows how we're going to function best. God has a standard, and he's going to enforce that standard. And it doesn't matter who disagrees with him on this. This is an inflexible thing when it comes to God. His mind has never changed about this stuff, and it certainly hasn't changed today. So any sexual activity outside of that relationship, the marital relationship between a male and a female, any sexual activity outside of that relationship is, according to Scripture, sin. So we have to be clear about this. God will never sanction sexual relations outside of marriage. He will never sanction that. Now, there, there was a time not all that long ago when people understood that if you were, um, you know, sleeping with somebody outside of marriage, they, they understood that that was sin. It was even referred to by the, the general population as living in sin. But today, things have reversed so rapidly in this regard. Today, you're looked at as some sort of a freak if you're not having sex before you're married or outside of marriage. You know, it's almost in the minds of so many people a prerequisite to, uh, it's part of preparation for marriage. Well, you know, you've got to have sex before you get married. You've got to make sure you're compatible. That's the mentality today. But God will never sanction sexual relations outside of marriage. God will never sanction adulterous sexual relations. So those today who say, you know, you can't be expecting people nowadays to be loyal to just one person. And some people would even argue and say, well, you know, uh, I, I've heard this argument myself. Um, you know, I, I have a really strong sex drive. God certainly couldn't expect me to just be faithful to one person. Oh, yes, he does. That's the point of you shall not commit adultery. And there's, there's no flexibility with this with God. He will never sanction adulterous sexual relations. God will never sanction intimate sexual relations among non-married persons, even though they exclude sexual intercourse. Sometimes people say, well, you know, we haven't, we're, we're not actually having sex, but we're doing other things. Those other things fall into the category of sin. And then finally, God will never sanction same-sex sexual relations. God will never sanction it. And that's just the way it is. Now, it's an eternal standard. God set these things, they are truly set in stone. And it doesn't matter what people think of them. It doesn't matter if all of um, 
all of the population decides that a certain thing is right. If God says it's wrong, it's wrong. G.K. Chesterton said, a fallacy is not any less a fallacy simply because it becomes a fashion. And that's exactly what's happening today. Because fallacies are now the fashion, people say, well, it's no longer a problem because it's a fashion, because everybody's doing it. But the scripture is clear. Fornication, all uncleanness, or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Now, the covetousness here that Paul's talking about is not covetousness the way we normally think of it, having to do with possessions or, you know, with greed for money or whatever. The context is sexual. So the covetousness here is a lustful attitude, living in a, a, a perpetual state of lust for sexual things. That's what he's talking about. He says, let, let, let it not even be named among you. And then he says, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting. So what Paul's describing here is what we would commonly think of if, you know, when we talk about a person who has a filthy mind and, and as a result of the filthy mind, this filth just flows out of their mouth. You hear it in their speech. And occasionally you, you come across a person like that who uh, no longer has any, um, you know, there's, there's, there's no guard any longer. It's just sort of gone. And everything that's in their heart and mind, they just spew out of their mouth. This is the kind of thing that Paul says should never be the case among us as God's people, thinking about and talking about. And again, we see this so, it's so permeated our culture today, hasn't it? You can hardly watch a TV program today, uh, you know, something that's being currently produced without all kinds of sexually perverted, suggestive kinds of speech in it. It's just... It's what it is now. It's, it's come to this. And so we see the, the idolization of sex in our culture. But like every idol, listen, those who make and promote these idols, like every idol, the promise is much greater than what is delivered. See, it, for, for many people today, somehow sex has been turned into like a savior. You know, I'm going to embrace this sexual identity and this is going to save me. But like all idols, they promise, but they never deliver. And for those who buy into the idea today that somehow there's some sort of salvation in sex, that you're going to find yourself, your true identity, you're going to be happy, you're finally going to be liberated and all of that, it's, it's a delusion. And... People discover that delusion, but sometimes they discover it too late. So Paul warns us here. These are strong warnings, but they're, they're true. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. He says, because the wrath of God will come upon the children of disobedience. So to live in sexual sin will, if unrepented of, will bring about judgment at some time. That's the warning that is given here. 
Do not be partakers with them. And then he says this in verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You were once darkness. This is the way you used to live. And of course, many in the Ephesian church would have acknowledged that, yes, indeed, that was my former life. Just like many in the Christian church today would acknowledge that, yes, indeed, we used to live that way. We used to live in sin. We used to live in sexual sin. But we are now light in the Lord. We were once darkness. It's interesting that Paul says here, you were once darkness. He doesn't simply say you were once in the darkness. He says you were once darkness. This is where we were. We were darkened in our understanding of these things. And the darkness was dwelling in us. And so we behaved just like everybody else behaved. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So, remember, putting off the old, putting on the new. Walking now as the children of light. The fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit in our life is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So, the change of lifestyle. And then finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. So how do we know what's right and wrong? That's a big question. How do we know what is right and wrong? Well, God has shown us what is right and wrong. When Paul is talking here about the the light manifesting what is the darkness. He's talking about the truth of God's word. God's word tells us what's right and what's wrong. And when it comes down to these things, you know, to me, it's a very simple proposition. And maybe sometimes I'm too simple, but it's just the way it is. But to me, it's very simple. If there is no God then all things are permissible. If there is no God, all things are permissible. You can do anything sexually that you desire to do if there is no God. Because if there is no God, there really cannot be, at the end of the day, uh, anything that is absolutely right or wrong. All there can really be are just uh, a variety of human opinions about it based on tradition and things of that nature. So if there is no God, then like it was in the time of the Romans, it's a sexual free-for-all. You just do what you want. And who could say that that's wrong? It's just a, it's a, a preference. I don't prefer that, but you do, so that's the way it goes, if there is no God. But if there's a God, and the Bible is his word, then there's a standard that needs to be taken seriously. And of course, that's the position that we hold as God's, as Christians, we hold that position. And so we have got to stand in light of God's word. That's where we stand. That's the truth that we stand on. Even though we might have certain feelings, we stand in the light of God's word. Secondly, we must live in sexual purity as Christians. One of the biggest problems today 
with our witness as Christians in regard to sexual issues is that we preach it, but we don't live it. That's the problem. I mean, how many times has it been the case where you find there's a pastor who's preaching hellfire and brimstone against people in sexual sin, and then you find out he's been having affairs? This has not just happened once. This happens over and over again. So you see, we have to live ourselves in sexual purity. We can't just be preaching to others that they ought to live in a certain way. We have to live that way as well. One of the big jokes among people who are taking the position against our position on marriage today is that, oh, you Christians don't really care, care about marriage like you say you do. Oh, you're fighting it now that we're talking about same-sex marriage, but you weren't really fighting it when it came to the issue of divorce. And it's true. There's a lot of truth to it. There, there was a time when it was crystal clear among Christians that divorce was not acceptable. Today, that is completely gone. Well, not completely, but to a large extent, that's, that's gone. It's just that standard has been set aside. But then we come along and say, well, you know, we're pro-marriage. Well, why then have you allowed for all this divorce? So you see, my point is we have to live it. If we're not living it, it's hypocritical and it's meaningless to those that we're seeking to persuade that there is something better. Thirdly and finally, what is our posture to be? As sinners saved by grace, let's seek to humbly and graciously show those in sexual sin God's better way. You see, we always have to remember that we're saved by grace. It's not that we're better than anybody else. It's not that we're morally superior to other people. It is simply that we are saved by grace. We were once darkness, just like everybody else, but now we are light in the Lord because of God's grace to us. And so, you know, the day of, of pointing the finger and shouting in condemnation at people about their sin, that falls on deaf ears today. People don't listen to that. But what they will listen to is humility and grace and love and somebody who's saying, look, I know where you're at. I was there at one time, or maybe I wasn't there, but I was somewhere else. I, I, I am a sinner too, so I get that. But let me show you that God has a better way. God has a better way. After all, God's the one who created sex. And he created it so that we would enjoy it. But he put parameters because he knows also that it's a double-edged sword. It can be a great blessing or it can be a great curse. If we do it God's way, it's a blessing. If we do it our way, the world's way, there's no blessing in it. There's no joy in it. There's no lasting love in that, whatever it might be. God has the better way. And so may he help us in this environment that we find ourselves in, may he help us to live righteously, to stand on his word, and to exemplify his grace. 
toward others. For the month of December, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Finding the Right Hills to Die On by Gavin Ortland. Baptism, the gifts of the Spirit, women in ministry, the rapture, and creation. These are only a handful of doctrines that have caused division throughout the history of the church, and they continue to divide today. But the unity of the church is essential for the mission of the church. So in his book, Finding the Right Hills to Die On, Gavin Ortland provides practical wisdom that can be personally applied when faced with doctrines that have divided. He exhorts all Christians to be honest, tactful, and gracious, because humility is the way to unity. If you want to be equipped to be doctrinally balanced, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book Finding the Right Hills to Die On by Gavin Ortland is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Ephesians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.